I don't know if you have a good family life or a bad family life or no family life at all, but that song is true. You have a heavenly father that loves you. Period. He loves you. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through. If you go home today, just getting one thing out of what I say, it's this, that you've got a heavenly father that loves you. Okay? Please know that. Please know that. From time to time, I will interrupt a sermon series in order to bring a, a message that's timely or needed to, uh, at a point. And today, as Gary mentioned, it's uh, what's regularly celebrated as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, done on the weekend that uh, we remember the uh, Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, which allowed uh, numerous abortions to be performed in the United States. And, you know, abortion is a very emotional issue. It's a very divisive issue. It's obviously a political issue. And I typically stay away from politics. Uh, however, this is an issue that Scripture speaks to. And uh, so it's fair game. But it's not an issue that we take lightly. It's not an issue that's uh, something that we beat people over the head with. Uh, because we think we're right and other people might be wrong or anything like that. Uh, abortion is a very uh, important issue because it speaks to the, very, um, to the very basics of human existence. It speaks to who we are. And I think that we need to, because it's so powerful and such an explosive issue, we need to examine this issue carefully with a level head. But uh, obviously... In church, we're going to see what God says about it, as we should in each of our lives. Um, where you stand on the issue of abortion, and where I stand on the issue of abortion, um, really is insignificant. The question is, where does God stand? What does he say? Because he's the creator of life. And you'd think that uh, we would understand that he knows best. And God is not silent on this issue in his word. God speaks on the issue of abortion, and we know what he says through his word, the Bible, and the goal in this message is for you to build a clear way of thinking about abortion. I'm not asking you to adopt what I say, uh, to adopt my viewpoint, uh, to adopt some other speaker's viewpoint. I'm asking you to consider, when we engage Scripture, what God says, and adopt his viewpoint as your own. And I believe that as, as God's people, he has established for us in his word three mighty pillars upon which we must stand and make proclamation of what the truths are in his word with regard to abortion. And pillar number one is simply this. God's word is truth, and it tells us the truth about abortion. God has spoken on this issue, and God tells the truth. It is the nature of God to tell the truth. God does not lie. He cannot lie. It is, it is opposed to his nature. It's a lie. And so what God has said is true. And God teaches us, first issue, when human life begins. That's a question that we need to ask. When does human life begin? And God is clear on when human life begins. A lot of people have different opinions on this issue, on when human life begins. Some people have opined all types of things. Some say, well, human life doesn't begin until birth, until the a woman gives birth, and that at the point of birth, that's when human life begins. And if that were indeed the case, then 
certainly any abortion up until the time of birth would uh, probably be permissible because it's not a human that is being terminated. Other people say, well, a, a, a child or a life hasn't really begun until that preborn child, and that's, by the way, a term that you'll hear me use throughout this message, preborn child. I don't like the term, term unborn. I mean, something's happened and it's been undone. I don't, I don't like that term. I like preborn. I'm an optimist. The baby hasn't been born yet, okay? So some people will say that a preborn child is not really a human life until it's viable outside of the womb. I had a, a theology professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary who took this view. And his name was Dr. Terry Young. And uh, if he didn't uh, want me telling his name, he shouldn't have had such a, a ridiculous view. But he said, he said, many embryos are conceived and miscarried without the mother even knowing its existence. And that's true. He said, if human life begins at conception and miscarried children go to heaven, there's going to be an awful lot of people in heaven. And I raised my hand. And I said, what's wrong with that? Are you seriously concerned about overpopulation of heaven? I think God can handle it. I had no idea where this guy was coming from. But I tried to know my place as a student of his. Sometimes I struggle. But listen, if human life doesn't begin until uh, the preborn child is viable outside of the womb, then certainly abortion up to that point may be permissible. Other people say that human life begins at conception. Planned Parenthood in 1964 produced a brochure about birth control. In the brochure, it says, and I'll quote it, an abortion kills the life of a baby after it has begun. They accidentally told the truth. But listen, it doesn't matter if some say a baby's not really a a human life until birth or when it's viable or when it's conceived. It doesn't matter what we say. The question is not that. The question is, what does God say? God says that human life begins at conception. Listen, everything that I say when I'm talking about God saying, God speaking on abortion, I'll show you in Scripture. Psalm 139 Verses 13 through 16 says, and this is a prayer to God, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Please understand, this is poetic language. The psalmist doesn't really believe that he was formed in the depths of the earth. He knows he was formed in his mother's womb. It's poetic language. God skillfully has wrought us in the depths of the earth. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And then your book was written all the days that were ordained for me, as yet from there was not one of them. From the very beginning of our existence at conception, God was at work. God knows, even before the mother knows, 
that something wonderful and incredible is happening. God says that human life begins at conception. God also says that a preborn child is a human being. Might seem obvious to you and me, but sometimes it's it's not. People try to uh, address this in all different types of ways. Some people say, "Well, it's not completely human," but that's not true. A preborn child is not somewhat human. It's not partly human. It's not mostly human. It is completely human. Isaiah forty nine one says, "The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother." He named me. We have to ask the question, what is a human being? Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines the word human. Okay, there's two parts of human being. Human as having human form or attributes. It defines the word being as substance, nature, or essence of anything existent. In other words, one that exists. Given those definitions, that human means it has human form or attributes, that being means it exists, then can anyone rationally conclude that a preborn child is not a human being? If you say that he's not a being, you're saying that he doesn't exist. That's just blatantly not true. If you're saying that he's not human, what is he? A vegetable? A mineral? Obviously it's human. A preborn child is a human being. And the Bible teaches that which is obvious. The Bible also teaches, God also says, that a preborn child is as human as a born child. In other words, the Bible makes no distinction between the humanity of a preborn child or a postborn child. I'll show you from Scripture. Elizabeth in the New Testament was at one point pregnant with who would later become John the Baptist. Elizabeth goes to visit, in Luke chapter 1, she goes to visit one of her relatives, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's also pregnant, not quite as far along. The ladies meet, and at the moment that John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, hears the voice of Mary, the mother of the Savior of the world. The Bible says that Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. The word baby is the Greek word brephos. Okay, and that's important. That's in Luke chapter 1. Luke, by the way, was a physician. Luke chapter 2, same guy writing it, same story. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the now-born infant Jesus is called a brephos. There are many Greek words for child, but Luke intentionally used the same word for the preborn John the Baptist and the postborn baby Jesus. Sometimes people make a false distinction between preborn and postborn. The Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, made this false distinction. In that decision, the Supreme Court ruled that a preborn child is neither human nor a person and therefore not protected by the Constitution. 
And it reminds me, there's one other time when the Supreme Court ruled that someone who is obviously human is not a human. That's the Dred Scott case. More than a hundred years before. And it said that slaves were not really persons, therefore not protected by the Constitution. It's a reminder to me that the Supreme Court can sometimes get it wrong. They did with the Dred Scott case, and they did with Roe v. Wade. And the justices of the Supreme Court should be reminded that there is a more Supreme Court that they will listen to that they'll be held accountable for. Sometimes we even change our terminology in order to make a false distinction. For example, you ask any pregnant woman about the baby within them, and listen to what they call it. They call it my baby. And I've done my best to imitate my pregnant woman. But they, they call it my baby. And no, I'm not pregnant. They call it my baby. They call it my child. But if you were to go to a Planned Parenthood office, they try to put some distance between the mother and her own baby. That's no longer a baby. It's a fetus. It's an embryo. Why not kill a fetus or an embryo? What in the world is a fetus and an embryo? They certainly won't call it what it is. It's a baby. It's a human within them. God teaches not only that human life begins at conception, not only that preborn children are human, not only is there no distinction between a preborn and a postborn child, other than location, but God also teaches that all human life is sacred. All human life is sacred. There are times in the Old Testament where God commanded the death of a human being. Every single time that God commanded the death of a human being, it was the death of the guilty. Either a guilty individual or a guilty society. Guilty of heinous crimes like child sacrifice. Guilty of murder. Guilty of horrible crimes. Nowhere in Scripture does God condone the killing of an innocent person. And nowhere in Scripture does God condone the killing of a preborn child. In fact, if a preborn child is hurt or killed through the actions of another person, God required a penalty. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, listen to what this says. It says, if men struggle with each other, by the way, it's talking about men getting in a fight. If two men are getting in a fight, and let me just say this from the outset. The Scripture does not say anything about a man striking a woman. If a man and a woman get in an argument and the man strikes the woman. It doesn't say that. Why? Because that would be unheard of. That would be ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? What man in his right mind would ever strike a woman? You don't do that. And so it's not even addressed in Exodus. But what's addressed is if two men are struggling, with each other, they're fighting each other, and one of them strikes a pregnant woman. It says it strikes a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. The one who did that shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. 
and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That preborn baby is important to God. That preborn baby did nothing wrong to deserve an injury at all. And you might say to me, well, Pastor, that's that's great. You know, that's a long time ago. You know, it's aren't there exceptions that we know about today that maybe they didn't have to deal with such, such a long time ago? I mean, is there are there any exceptions to God's prohibition against killing preborn children? And that's a fair question. So let's take a couple of these. What if there's abnormalities in the child? I mean, we live in such a day that we have such an incredible technology, medical technology. We can actually take pictures inside the mother's womb. I mean, that's that's just incredible. A hundred years ago, who would even think of such a thing? But we can take pictures. We can see what's going on. We can do genetic testing on a molecular level. And know if that preborn child might be predisposed to some type of injury or disease later. Uh, if, it's, if it might even be, might even live or die within who knows how long. What if that preborn child has abnormalities? Listen to me. Anytime a baby is aborted because it is handicapped, we are making serious value judgments which are beyond our prerogative as humans. Even if it were possible for a doctor to determine that a preborn baby is seriously handicapped, and I would just remind you that the doctors are wrong sometimes. Do not put more faith in a doctor than should be allowed. All of us are human. All of us can be wrong. But even if it was possible for a doctor to determine that a preborn baby is seriously handicapped, only God has the right to take away the life he has created. Job proclaimed, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the, if that baby was born, the quality of that baby's life would be poor. Therefore, you know, we should just abort it. One person put it this way. He wrote, the demand that defective people be prevented from propagating equally defective offspring represents the most humane act of mankind. Did you catch that? He says we ought to stop defective people from having defective children. And that's a humane act. The person who said that, wrote that, was Adolf Hitler. In Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 10. The quality of life argument is worthless. Oh, it's not going to have a certain quality of life, therefore we must simply abort it. Listen, for any society to determine who should live and who should die based on some arbitrary quality of life argument, that's an affront to God. God says in Exodus 4.11, and this is the Lord asking Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Another question that comes up from time to time, what about rape or incest? 
These are horribly vicious crimes that I hate even mentioning in a church setting because these are acts of violence against innocent women. Let me ask that question this way, answer that question this way with another question. Does an act of violence against an innocent woman justify an act of violence against an innocent preborn child? God says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 7, do not kill the innocent. Very clear. Do not kill the innocent. And to take the life of a baby would only compound the tragedy. And I, I know what some of you may be thinking, Pastor, that's easy for you to say you're a man. You've never been raped. You've never had to face the possibility of carrying a child to, to turn you know, all the way out. Uh, a child that you, you know, didn't even produce from an act of love, but rather as an act of violence. And, and, I, and I hear what you say. I understand that. But I want you to know God can do a miracle. He can do a miracle with anyone, even someone who may be the product of rape. Many years ago, a 17-year-old girl was raped and became pregnant. And she was told to have an abortion. It's okay, have an abortion. You know, it's unreasonable for you to carry that baby out to all the way out to birth. That's just not right. That's too much suffering. That wouldn't be right for you to have to bear that burden. But she refused to have an abortion. She had the baby. She raised the baby, even. That child... That's a friend of mine, Ronnie Hill. He's an evangelist. He's led many thousands of people to Christ. He's got a uh, precious family. We have a picture of his family. He's got a precious family. There he is. When I was pastor in Cincinnati, I invited Ronnie to come. Uh, do a revival for us, and, and uh, we we wanted to see people come to faith in Christ. And to my knowledge, only one person got saved. It's very unusual for Ronnie to preach the gospel and only one person gets saved. But only one person got saved. It was the lady standing next to him. They became friends. They started dating. They got married. We've got this beautiful boy. Ronnie's the product of rape. God can do incredible things if we'll just do His will. Even if horrible things happen to you, God can bring good out of it. That's what God does all the time. He brings good out of bad. Listen, the Word of God is clear. That selective and arbitrary abortion for convenience sake is wrong. It's a sin against God. It's an affront to His holiness. It's the taking of a human life. And the Bible is clear that there will be a judgment. However, the good news of God's Word is that He offers forgiveness. God offers healing. God offers you an opportunity to escape the judgment that He will visit upon the guilty. And that's the second pillar upon which we must stand. We must stand with the truth of God's word, number one, that abortion is the unjustified taking of a human life. Number two, 
God desires to forgive and heal women who have had abortions, as well as people who have encouraged and performed abortions. Let me ask this question. Can God really forgive someone who's had an abortion? Absolutely. All the way. How do I know? Because God forgave Moses. Moses got angry one man one time and killed a man. And God forgave him. God forgave King David. King David had an innocent and faithful man put to death, killed. And God forgave him. The good news of God is that when He forgives you, He forgives you all the way. Listen to what Scripture says. Listen to what God says to you in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and following, God says, come now. Let's reason together. God's inviting us to have a talk. That's incredible that the God of the universe would take the time to talk to a sinful, wrong person like me. But he says, come now. Let's reason together, says the Lord. And then he says, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be wool like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat of the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says to you, no matter what you've done, God says there's forgiveness. you got to come to me. Come to me. Come and see that I offer you forgiveness. How do you receive God's forgiveness? Listen, here's how. You've got to turn away from living a selfish life, a sinful life. Just turn away from it. Just look at God and realize that He is the one who knows your name. He's called you. He loves you. Just run to Him. Like the prodigal son running home. Come to your Heavenly Father. Come to your senses. And come to your Heavenly Father. And He says, I will forgive you. I will love you with an unending love. And you never, ever have to doubt again whether you're loved because you are. And you have to turn to Jesus to save you. This church, Broadview Baptist Church, is here to offer you the grace that God offers to those who need it. Broadview Baptist Church believes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What have you done? I don't care. There's no condemnation. We do not condemn you if you're in Christ Jesus. Come to faith in God. Come to faith in Christ Jesus. And if God does not condemn you, this church will not condemn you either. There's a third pillar that we must stand upon. One is that the truth of what abortion is and that it's a sin against God. Number two, that God offers forgiveness to those that have failed in one aspect or another. Number three, we must be about this, that God hears the cry of those who have no voice. We must be the voice for those who have no voice. Those who have no voice are numerous. Many millions of babies have been aborted in the United States. Since the time I began this sermon, scores of babies have been aborted. Every year, 
around the world, over 50 million babies are aborted. They have no voice. Those who have no voice are innocent. They've done nothing wrong. They are what Scripture actually calls the innocents with a T. The innocents. They are the ones who are innocent. And they've done no wrong. God's people must stand for the innocent, must speak for the innocent. The innocent ones are guilty of only one thing. They're only guilty of being found in the most dangerous place in America. Their mother's womb. That's all they're guilty of. Those who have no voice are loved by God. You know what Proverbs 31 is, right? Proverbs 31 is that famous chapter that talks about the godly woman. Well, you know what? That doesn't start till about verse 10 or so. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who have no voice. The justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up for those who have no voice. What can we do today? Here's a couple of things you can do. I do try to stay away from politics, but I'll tell you this. You can make up your mind in your own heart only to elect government representatives who are opposed to abortion on demand. I mean, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I don't care if you're a Libertarian, an Independent. I don't care if you're a part of the Whig Party, if you're that old. It makes no difference to me. But if you believe what the Bible says about abortion, it ought to influence the way you vote. And I would say this, that, that you know, when we stand before God and we have to give an account of our lives, I, I'm not really sure if the Lord will say, did you vote for someone who's going to lower your taxes? Did you vote for someone that's going to see the way you do on Social Security? I don't know if he'll say that. I don't even know if he'll ask about how we voted at all. But if he does, I'd be willing to surmise that he might ask us if we voted the way Scripture should have our conscience declare us to vote, prompt us to vote. Taxes, Social Security, national defense, education, all of these are important issues, but they pale in comparison to the eternal impact of abortion because there is no other issue if a life is snuffed out. That's one thing we can do, but there's something more personal that you can do because even if you do your very best to vote according to the way Scripture might have you vote, you know, those are still decisions made by 535 politicians and Washington, D.C., and one president, nine Supreme Court justices, and then all the, all the others in Austin and Lubbock City Council, wherever you might live. These are decisions made by other people. And so our impact is uh, deferred, if you will. There's something personal that you can do. Number one, you can tell others about the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. No matter what people go through, let's be about that task. We let people know, hey, You've been through a rough time. You made a bad decision, whatever it might be. Maybe you're confused about abortion. Maybe you're confused about some other issue. God stands ready to forgive at all times. God is ready to forgive. Second thing you can do, and I would hope that uh, you would consider this today, the most important anything can do with regard to this topic today is to give his or her life to Jesus Christ. By that I mean you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to him and you say, Jesus, I need the forgiveness you offer. 
and whether or not it has anything to do with abortion. God offers forgiveness for all of us, no matter what our sins are, no matter what our problems are. And so I would hope that if today you are ready to receive the forgiveness of God, that you would say, yeah, I'm ready, God. And you can settle it right there where you are right now. Just in your heart. Ask God for forgiveness and see if he doesn't come into your life and flood you with more forgiveness and grace and mercy and joy than you could ever imagine. The most pressing need of people's hearts is to trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation.